This is Mary Lewis at A Tiny Homestead, the podcast comprised entirely of conversations with homesteaders, cottage food producers, and crafters. Today I'm talking with Sophia Ng at Sprinkle with Soil. Good morning, Sophia. How are you? I'm doing great, Mary. How are you? Thank you so I'm, much for having me. Yes, absolutely. I was so excited to interview you or have the chance to interview you. Um, are you in California? I am not. I am in the Appalachian Mountains in uh, East Tennessee. Okay. I couldn't figure out from what I was reading about you online because I always do my homework, whether you lived in California or Tennessee. So it's Tennessee. How is Tennessee? Is it beautiful today? It is beautiful today. It was pretty dreary the last couple of days with rain, but it is beautiful. The grass is starting to come out and we're starting to see sprouts on some of the trees, the buds. That's awesome. We were. Um, I'm in Minnesota and we got five inches of snow last night. So uh, I think everything's going to go back to sleep for a little while. (laughs) I hope anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, tell me about yourself and sprinkle with soil. So we started on this journey 12 years ago, our family did when our my first daughter was born. And I started looking into food and nutrition and health and what we were going to put in her little body. Um, and as we started wanting to document this uh, four years ago at, you know, during 2020, it was a fun pandemic project for us. And we came up with Sprinkle with Soil as a blog um, and some YouTube videos. And and now it's kind of taken off. (laughs) This pandemic project has now become a cookbook and the kids have their own business. And uh, it's just been a lot of fun. Nice. So I I have a quick question because I interviewed Jeff Poppin yesterday. He uh, he's another one of the Chelsea Green authors. And he said that Chelsea Green approached him. Did Chelsea Green approach you or did you did you send out the infamous query letter of, can I please write for you? Well, I think it was a warm introduction with Chelsea Green. I had spoken to Sally Fallon Morrell, the author of Nourishing Traditions, um, a few years ago and, and kind of told her about this idea of a book that I had because it was just a missing gap. Um, the Asian Nourishing Kitchen was what was missing in her repertoire of nourishing traditions. And and so she said, you know, you should check out Chelsea Green. And, and um, I ran into my editor there at one of the Wise Traditions Conference and we hit it off. I told her about the idea. She loved it. I still had to go through the entire process with Chelsea Green. But they really took a chance on me because I had gotten off of all social media <laughs> during 2020. I just erased my entire livelihood and, and our history on there. And so I was starting from scratch again. And they loved our story. They said it was going to be extremely relatable for everyone out there. We are military, but we're also coming from the high tech world in Silicon Valley to now, you know, country living and, you know, being immigrants and uh, minority background to moving into an industry that's completely brand new to us in a place that's different as well. So um, they thought it would do well. And now the book is available worldwide as a bestseller. Woo! That's amazing. That's great. Yeah. I'm so excited for you. I, I have not written a book. I've been told a billion times to do a cookbook and I'm like, yeah, but that's going to require months, if not years of doing it. And I don't want to, so I haven't done it yet. But maybe in my old age, when I hit 65, maybe I'll be like, okay, now's the time to write the cookbook. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> but 
I think the other reason that you're doing well is because you're so excited. The excitement is rolling through my headphones to me from you. You are lit up about this. I'm so excited. It, I think it's because it's just been a passion project of mine for 12 years when my daughter was born. You know, 10 years ago, I was going thrift shopping and thrifting these dishware and, and in hopes of one day I'll write this cookbook with mom. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just a couple of years ago, she said, and it was last year, she said, all right, so when are you going to write this cookbook? <laughs> and she's mid seventies now. And my daughter is really wanting to learn more. And I've always just been busy working in, in high tech. Like it just is not a lucrative decision to take time off of work to write a cookbook Mm-mm. and, and <laughs> <laughs> not at all. And so I took three months off to take care of dad. Um, his health was declining. He uh, had dementia. And so I took the time off and, and it ended up being more than that, I ended up spending a year together with them to take them out to meet all the farmers, all of the food enthusiasts that had been mentors of mine for the last decade and put it all together. And I, it's, it's all of our blood, sweat and tears. All of those dishes I cooked with my mom for the photo shoot, all of those dishes I've thrifted for the last 10 years, all of those stories in there, all of those are all of our family's recipes. And at first, I thought this was just going to be a book that I was going to print at FedEx, Kinko's, get it spiral bounded and gift it to my my family. But it's become so much more than that. And to see it so well received by everyone of different cultures around the world has just been really comforting to know that this project, this passion project that I've put on hold for such a long time, um, you know, I'm glad that other people are, are feeling inspired by it. I'm getting pictures of what people are making and sending it over. And it's just so fulfilling to see that something that I did not ever get working in tech, <laughs> working yeah. this closely with people. Well, it sounds incredibly fun. And and there's so there's so few opportunities for genuine fun right now. So I'm glad that you're having fun with it and that you're so excited and that the the payoff has been so huge for you. And I don't mean that monetarily. I mean it emotionally and, and spiritually. Yeah. You hit it right on the head, not monetarily, (laughs) but it has been a lot of fun and the pay, the payoff has been great. We, the the children are loving it. And my husband's, um, you know, he's a homesteading realtor and it, the people who have reached out to us, who've said, we want to do what you're doing. I mean, they've really gone through reading our story through the cookbook. And then I, I never even mentioned in there that we were real estate agents. <laughs> and through our story, they've they've dug deep to find out, yeah, no, we really want to know more. And it's been really great, these conversations that we're having with people. And and honestly, in the last two years that we've written the book and, and put this out there, I feel that you know, we've saved almost a hundred, over a hundred acres um, back to our small farmers and homesteaders who want to do this. You know, and I think that's the larger m- the accomplishment for me in knowing that we are in our small way helping the world take back some control over our food system and our health again. Yeah, absolutely. Um so you wear many, many, many hats. Um, you work with your husband still, yes, with yes, the, so with the realty. Okay. <laughs> and you guys actually are homesteaders. Yes, we do. Yeah. And 
you're now, you wrote a book, but I'm sure there's pieces that are still going with that that you have to do, like talking to me. Um, <laughs> so my my podcast is Conversations with Homesteaders, Cottage Food Producers, and Crafters. So tell me about your homesteading experience, because let's, let's start there. I, I do want to talk about the book, too, but let's yeah. start with the homesteading part. Yeah, the homesteading part, we didn't even know it was a term. We didn't know it was a thing. We started in 2020 because actually, no, we started homesteading back in 2017 um, when I found out that Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, had acquired Whole Foods. And it became the moment that I realized, hey, maybe organic isn't as organic as I thought. And that at the end of the day, in order for me to know where our food truly comes from, instead of a large corporate chain, even as large as Whole Foods, I have to get to know our small local producers. And um, through that experience, it became, you know, let's just start seeing what we could grow on our quarter acre in the Bay Area. And that's all we had to start with. Um, and so I started growing herbs, cilantro and scallion, because my mom would always say, don't bother making pho, which is a broth that we make, chicken broth um, mm -hmm. or beef broth. Don't even bother making pho unless you have cilantro and scallion. She's like, at the very minimum, this is what you have to have. So in California, I started a little garden bed right outside the windowsill for her. And I learned how to succession plant cilantro and scallion because we could in the Bay Area. And then from there, I just got hooked. I mean, just tasting cilantro straight out of the ground into your bowl of pho. It was a flavor that I'd never unlocked before. And it, I was hooked. We started growing four gar raised garden beds on our quarter acre back in 2018, 2019. And by the time 2020 hit, California went into complete lockdown and curfews. And as a child of immigrants, my parents fled Vietnam during the fall of Saigon in 1975. And they told us stories about what would happen during that time, how there were curfews and lockdowns, and you could get shot if you left your home outside of those hours. And I remember telling my, my parents when I was younger, I would tell them, please don't tell us these scary stories. It's never going to happen. We're in America. Like, mm -hmm. let's just chill. But when that day happened on March 16, 2020, I sat them down and I asked them, okay, what were the events that happened? And it was that day, that night, actually, my husband and I drove out to Mill Valley, which is north of San Francisco. And there was a lady who bought, who sold egg laying hens because we didn't know when the grocery stores were going to open again. And she sold um, these egg laying hens for $300 each. Oh, and <laughs> <laughs> wow. But desperate times calls for desperate measures. Mm -hmm. And it was all supply and demand. Luckily, I say that now, luckily we did end up getting three of those egg laying hens because the next day she sold out of all of them. And on that drive back through the Bay Bridge, it was at night, we had these hens in a cardboard box and they were pecking and we could hear them. And I remember turning to my husband and telling him, I never, ever want our family to worry about feeding all of us off of three eggs a day. So we had our vegetables, but we wanted a protein source. And that's yeah. the, the, the most regenerative protein source that we could get at this point, not knowing when things were going to open back up again. I mean, this was a different mindset. And I, I think that now things have gone more or less back to normal. But this was this was what we were dealing with in California. But it was through that experience that 
we learned a lot about ourselves and learned a lot about the vulnerability of our food system. And we already knew about the quality of our food or the lack of nutrient density in our food already. And so we're already going down this path, but what really was the catalyst in 2020 that really catapulted us into, you know, we want to start growing and raising our ruminant animals. And in order to do that, we would have to get more land, more grass. Um, and so we ended up uh, purchasing six acres in Lincoln, California, um, and we brought home goats and sheep for our first ruminants. We brought home 100 ducklings, <laughs> guard geese, and uh, LGDs, and we started butchering our own animals. We we flew over to Joel Salatin's farm, and we learned how to butcher our own chickens and rabbits and came home and, and started doing that for ourselves, thinking that this was going to be the path forward for us in our in our future. Okay, but, L- LGD is is large guardian dog. Is that the term? Yeah, so it's livestock yeah. guardian dog. Sorry, livestock guardian dog. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and um, they really just help keep the farm protected and our family as well. We have an SGD. We have a small guardian dog. <laughs> yeah, she's a mini Australian shepherd. She has no livestock to guard. She she really likes our chickens, but she doesn't really help with them. She's more of a, a pain in the butt with them than anything. So we have an SGD, not an LGD. <laughs> um, you mentioned cilantro. Um I am one of those people that got the gene that cilantro to me tastes like soap. Oh, no. And it's so funny because I like it um, shredded up in little tiny pieces on tacos. It doesn't taste like soap when I do it that way. But if I actually get a whole leaf and chew it up, all I can taste is soap. It makes me so sad because it smells so good, but it tastes terrible to me. I'm so lucky. Um, So, okay. So you have, so what do you have now for, for uh, livestock? So now we actually have a micro dairy. So three years later, we found ourselves swapping out those three egg laying hens for three Jersey cows. (laughs) Oh, that's a big swap. In this journey of self-sufficiency, we learned that the dairy cow is really the, um, the core of your homestead. And she is the, she's the one that provides for your family with her milk, her yogurt, her butter, ice cream even, but also Mm -hmm. she feeds the other animals on the farm, like our chickens, our, our ducks, and then any leftovers, you know, we use the whey for the garden. And so we started with one cow and then learned, of course, uh, you know, as a mom myself, who's breastfed, like, I don't know if I could do that to her all year long. <laughs> mm-hmm. So then we got another cow to spread out um, and give her a, a little break, give them both a little break. And then we're three in and, and actually going to have our fourth cow soon. <laughs> but it's it's been great because now not only are we more or less self-sufficient on our farm, we are now more community sufficient because whatever that we're not using from the dairy, um, we are bartering, trading, selling to our local community um, with our yogurts that we, you know, long ferment. We don't use corn or soy. Um, we feed only alfalfa pellets and even fermented alfalfa. So, <laughs> um, and you know, it's just been a, 
a great thing for our family, but also to be able to provide for the community as well. Nice. Um, so you, so you have a, you have a cookbook and I have a question about spicy foods. Um, I can't eat capsaicin anything. I can't eat hot peppers because my lips go cold and then they go numb and then my throat starts to close up. And so I, I don't know, is wasabi something that you're familiar with? I am. Yes. That's something I'd love to grow one day. (laughs) Okay. Could I use wasabi as a heat, a heat generating thing in chili instead of a hot pepper? Because I'm really missing chili but chili isn't chili without some kind of heat to it. Right. Would, would wasabi help? Would it, would it do the same thing as chili powder? I think it really could. And okay. I think it would be a great alternative. Okay. Because I'm dying. I it, it snowed <laughs> last night. I really want to make cornbread and I really want to make chili, but I can't eat the chili unless I make it with something besides hot peppers or I will die and I don't want to die oh, to no. eat chili. So, Oh no. <laughs> so I'll have, to, I'll have to get some wasabi paste and, and try that. Or is there dried, is there wasabi powder? There probably is. There is wasabi powder. And okay. I think I saw a version at Trader Joe's once okay. if you have access to Trader Joe's, but yeah, there is, there's clean wasabi powder available. Okay, cool. Cause there's no, there's no capsaicin in wasabi. It's just hot. It just yeah. will give you that heat. Okay. Mm-hmm. See, I, I am not, I'm not an Asian food girl. I, I barely like Chinese food, let alone, you know, American Chinese food, let alone all the different flavors for Asian foods. And maybe because I haven't had authentic Asian food, I probably would like it if I had it from somebody who knew what they were doing. <laughs> but I'm not familiar with all the things that go into making it. So I was very excited to talk to you because you have a cookbook and it's Asian food. So tell me all about the book. You, you, you obviously wrote about your experience with your parents and wanting your kids to have good nutritious food. So tell me, tell me what you, what you did. Yeah. So these are all of our nourishing recipes for health and healing. Um, it, it really, these are the, I mean, I grew up, I was born and raised in America, but um, because of my background, my parents were immigrants. So my grandparents actually raised me at, at home when I wasn't at school for most of the days during the, the work week while my parents were working. And so I had a lot of time with my grandparents as well as my mom in the kitchen whenever she was home and she would cook at night and um, on the weekends we would go grocery shopping. So I learned a lot of that from her and I learned a lot about the medicinal benefits and not realizing at the time that this might be something that I would be talking about 40 years later. But these recipes have stayed with us. Uh, When I had my daughter, we have in our Asian culture, we have um, about a 40-day, what we call the fourth trimester period, where it's the postpartum period. And essentially the mom, myself, would, you know, just be resting and Mm -hmm. This is the, the stage in life where your mother-in-law or your mother comes in and she really nourishes you with a lot of healing broth, a lot of healing food, mostly broth. And I've included a lot of those recipes in the cookbook 
because, you know, a lot of it was for healing your gut, but also for lactation is what she would say. And when she would say these things, I would think, you know, there's not any of this like backed up by science when I was growing up. Like you can't really tell me that that's true because I can't Google it. And, um, you know, as I went through it, I've, you know, mom would always say, look at the, look at the woman who like bounce back right away after childbirth, like, and then, and then follow their trajectory when they get older, like how much more in pain are they, right? Versus, um, you know, you see a lot of aunties and um, my, my grandma, for example, she lived to be 109 years old and she was pretty much on her own for a while. And, mom, and my mom would say, yeah, after she gave birth to her children, her mother-in-law was there and cooking for her. And these were the recipes, these were the dishes that she made. And so that was why I said, you know, if I don't capture these recipes for the children, then they're just not going to be around. Like I'm, I'm here standing in the gap for the children. Um, and that's really where the, the impetus of this whole cookbook came from was so that I could capture those recipes and, and have them for my children. Um, um, and so all of the other recipes, I have so many stories behind them um, from recipes that Tim had when he was at West Point and there was this one Vietnamese restaurant that he loved and um, wanted me to recreate it. <laughs> and um, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of our, our family stories and a lot of the sweet memories that I have at the kitchen table are all around these dishes, like hot pot, for example. That's the dish where we all come together as a family and we eat out of this one hot boiling pot of broth. And we all dip our vegetables in there, our meat in there, and then we we scoop out what we want. And it's just, you know, this communal way of living and a communal way of eating that I've really come to appreciate now that I'm much older than I did when I was a little child to realize that this is the way that our culture celebrated with food. Um, and this is the way that I want to continue to pass on to the children and introduce to the American culture, more or less, because, you know, it's it's more of, it's less of the, what can I eat on my own plate versus, you know, when you eat in a communal way, when you eat at a round table, like we usually do at weddings, or, you know, we have a lazy Susan in there. Um, our culture and, and the way that we think about food and sharing food is about what, you know, not not taking more than you need. Um, and, and thinking about what we're going to leave behind for those um, at the table with us. And I really love that. Um, and something that I would love to share along with our recipes, but that way of, of philosophy um, and sharing of our culture to the American culture. Yeah. Um, your, your story about the, the pot with the broth in it reminds me of when we used to do Christmas gatherings with my husband's family and they did fondue mm-hmm. and it's, it's a fondue pot. And everybody dips their stuff in the cheese in the fondue pot and eats it. And I don't really have an issue with fondue. I love fondue. I shouldn't. It's terribly fattening. And it makes you want to eat all of it. It's it's one of those foods where you're like, I really shouldn't eat another bite. And then five bites later, you're like, I really should stop. And then ten bites later, you're like, I haven't stopped yet. Um, but I... I really get grossed out when people double dip 
And it's probably not a big deal with families, but it just, it freaks me out a little bit. So I had little kids when we first did this. And of course, the one who was like seven took a hunk of bread, dipped it in the fondue, took a bite out of the hunk of bread and then stuck it right back in. And I was like, no, 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 we don't do that. And my mother-in-law laughed and she said, honey, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like, okay. So it's, it's funny how, when, when people get together, there are things in each person's upbringing, like me being grossed out by double dipping that other people don't have an issue with or maybe something I do in the way that I eat grosses someone else out you never know so I don't even know why I'm telling the story but <laughs> the circle the circle table and the, the pot reminds me of fondue here yeah yeah I, I guess that's the closest thing we have um, for the American culture where we all come together but um, to that point with hot pot it's really just putting all of the ingredients into the pot. So we don't cook it ahead of time. It's, Mm -hmm. um, we have a broth that's a a base broth and then everyone puts their, their vegetable of choice, whether it's Napa cabbage, bok choy, I love chrysanthemum greens. And then we have like sliced beef, we have sliced lamb and we all just toss it in there. And then there's this giant ladle that comes and, um, you know, you grab your own bowls and everyone grabs the giant ladle when it's your turn and you just, you just ladle it into your bowl. So there's no double dipping, but if there were, (laughs) it's at least heated with a lot of heat in the broth. (laughs) Which helps. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It also reminds me of the story of stone soup. I don't know if you, if you're familiar. Yeah. 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 Where, where I I don't know. It's been a long time since I've heard the story, but people bring, it starts out with water and a rock and, some somebody says that's it water and a rock and the person that has started it says well if you have something you'd like to add and that person adds some kind of food to the water and the hot rock and then somebody else comes and adds something else and something else and something else and it becomes soup so it reminds me of that story i will have to look that up because i haven't thought about it in a long time (laughs) I think it's very similar and that's probably how the hot pot started. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know, but it, as soon as you said it I was like, "Oh, like stone soup." Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um what else can I ask you? I was so excited to talk to you. I read a whole bunch of stuff about you and now I'm blanking cuz this is my brain on sunshine and happiness, I guess. <laughs> um so what what flavors like what flavors are associated with the kind of cooking that you do? Yeah. So there's a lot of aromatics in our cooking from ginger to onions to garlic. And I think that um, those are the pretty much the base of many of the soups or stir fries that we make. Um, There's a lot of healing spices and herbs that we use that add a lot of depth to our flavors, like black cardamom or fennel, a lot of coriander, um, and, uh, cinnamon, star anise, a lot of the, um, I'd say flavors that are not common in, uh, commonly used in American culture, but it's also very healing in what we use in our, you know, Asian nourishing, either whether it's broths or stews 
or stir fries. Okay. Well, everything you mentioned is is in my my pantry cabinets except for star anise. I don't have that right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can always tell a, a cook's kitchen from a show kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, I have in my kitchen. I have the most beautiful kitchen. I'm on, I'm so in love with it. I have an island, and it sits across from my gas stove, and to the right and left above the gas stove are two thin cabinets. Both of those cabinets are packed full of herbs that we have grown and dried from our own garden. We have thyme, we have chives, we have, um, we had lemongrass, but lemongrass doesn't hold its flavor very well when you dry it. So we, not lemongrass, uh, lemon balm. We had lemongrass, except that I used it all. That was from our garden too. Um, I don't even know. We have so many spices that we're running out of room in both those cabinets. And I've had people stop by and they're like, I need this. And I'm like, oh, let me let me get it for you. And I open the cabinet and they see all the spice jars and they're like, is that all herbs and spices? Yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> they're like, oh, you really do cook. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> So you can always tell a really pretty show kitchen versus a kitchen that actually gets used for cooking. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's a lot. It takes a lot of effort for me to clean up the kitchen to be able to make something presentable and like, you know, make these reels because realistically I am a lazy cook. I just like to get in and out. I, you know, if it's, even if it's a broth that I'm simmering for 24 hours, it's not a lot of hands-on time. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to move on to the next thing. We still work. We we homestead, and um, you know we homeschool as well. So I, you know, I, the kitchen is clean. It's just I've got everything laid out so that I can have it ready to use. But you know, it's not always conducive to showing <laughs> well um, for social media. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, we did canning, uh, started canning a couple of years ago and my husband wanted to do a video of it just in case we ever decided to use it for YouTube. And I was like, but honey, there's dishes on the counter behind you that haven't been washed yet because there's like six dishes and the, the island is covered in the canning stuff. This is not pretty. And he was like, well, we're doing the thing. It shouldn't be pretty. And I said, no, 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 no. And he said, no, we're going we're gonna to video it anyway. I was like, okay. So we did the ring light and we did the, the stands for the cell phones. We did all the things that we didn't know how to do. And I looked at the results and I was like, well, it's, it's okay. Probably won't ever use it, but it's not bad. And I said to him, I said, honey, I am not a photographer or videographer. I said, I... I don't know. I don't know about this. And he was like, well, we have it if we need it. And so I said, next time, if you want to video things, we need to have a plan before we do it. Because otherwise, it's just going to look like a disaster. Because you're right. When you're in the middle of it, it's not the prettiest thing ever. No, it's it's not. And it takes you 10 times longer to make the food. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And I I love cooking. I love the process of cooking. I love getting everything out and the measuring things and putting the big containers away and having everything ready to go in 
you know, all measured, all set to go. Mise en place is a beautiful thing. Um, but I don't love the cleanup. And I've learned that as long as I take a couple seconds as things are, are warming up or doing whatever they do on the stove and do little bits of cleanup as I'm cooking, it's so much easier after. Yeah. And anything that I can't do that with, I dread cooking because I'm the one that's going to have to clean it up. <laughs> well, I had a, a roommate in college and we always divvied up the chores. So if I was cooking she would do the dishes and vice versa. And the same also applies now in our married life. I've told my husband, Tim, the same thing, like, Hey, if I'm cooking, can you do the dishes? And if he's cooking, Oh my goodness, he has so many dishes. When he, uh-huh. It is not a fair trade. So that's why I end up cooking most of the days, but when he's cooking, you know, I'm doing the dishes and just to help out. Cause it's, it's just a lot of, it's a lot for, um, well, we, we cook for a larger family, so it is a lot. You know, we're talking larger pots and, and um, pans and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yesterday was Valentine's Day, and I decided that I was going to make a cake for my husband because I don't make cakes very often. And it was just a sheet cake with frosting. It was not fancy. <laughs> and And before I say anything else, for my listeners, my podcast episodes are not um, released in chronological order. So if someone hears this two weeks from now, clearly yesterday wasn't Valentine's Day <laughs> two weeks from now. But, um, and I also made, um, uh, I can't think, beef stroganoff last night for dinner. So I did some major cooking mm-hmm. kitchen time yesterday. And I asked my son, who still lives with us, he's 22. I said, can you and dad handle doing the dishes tonight as long as I have all the dishes done before I start making dinner? And he was like, well, I can help. He said, but you have to talk to dad when he gets home. And I was like, cool. So my husband walked in the door and he had brought me my favorite coffee for Valentine's Day, which is an A plus. And I said, I made a cake for you. And he's like, you did? And I said, yep, it's over there. He looked at it. He's like, wow, you never, you don't make cakes often. And I said, never is a very serious word. I make them. I just don't make them but once a year usually. And he's like, cool. And I said, I'm also making beef stroganoff, which is actual work and food. I said, are you willing to chip in with Cameron and do the dishes tonight after dinner? Because I'm done. I'm Once this, I've made this and we eat, I'm done. And he was like, of course. So I totally understand the trading off. It doesn't happen a lot here. I do most of the dishes because my husband has a job where he's gone nine, ten hours a day. And I don't feel like he should have to do the dishes every night because I cook every night. I don't think that's fair. Yeah. And I enjoy cooking. He doesn't enjoy dishes. So. <laughs> but it was a success. The cake was okay. The beef stroganoff was delicious and everybody had a great day. So it worked out Aww. fine. That sounds like a perfect way to celebrate. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to get yelled at, but I think that every day should be Valentine's Day if you are in a relationship with someone. I think that you should... You should try to make your your partner's life better in any way you can every day. Mm-hmm. And I we're all going to fail. I mean, I have had days where I'm like, I just don't have 100% today to give to you. But I will give what I have. So, so Valentine's today, Valentine's Day to me 
it's frustrating because I think there's a lot of pressure put on people to make it quote unquote special. And every day should be special in some way. That's what I think. I agree. I agree. When we first started dating, my husband and I, um, and got married, you know, he was very big on these commercialized holidays and, um, I didn't expect it. I didn't like it. Um, and I, I'm not a gifter gifter gifting is just not like my love language access service is. And that was one of the biggest, one of the other bigger, bigger, um, things of contention in, in our early relationship was the fact that I said, I didn't, I don't need all the fly. I don't need a dozen of long stemmed roses. It doesn't, to me, it doesn't mean anything to me. Um, but again, if you help me with the dishes, you know, the acts of service is, is what it is. And for me, it's more of the daily, you know, how can I show you exactly to your point, Mary, like, how can I show you, um, how much I love you and, and try to do my best every day. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And I had said to him three weeks ago, because he, he buys me flowers for our anniversary and Valentine's Day. And I said, can, can you not get me flowers for Valentine's Day? And he was like, why? And I said, because you always buy two bouquets and it's too many. I don't have enough vases because I don't. And I love them, but they're in the vase and they're pretty for like three days and then they start to wither and die. And then it's still winter outside. Yeah. (laughs) I said, I said, instead, I said, could you get me some obsidian coffee? It's a caribou coffee. I said, cause I really like that and we don't have it very often and I'm a coffee fiend and I would love to have obsidian coffee beans in the cabinet on Valentine's day or the day after. And he (laughs) was like, yes, that that's fine. And I said, okay, great. I said, I will come up with something for you. I just don't know what it is yet. And it turned out to be cake and be strong enough. But <laughs> but he walked in the door yesterday with a bag of obsidian oh. coffee beans and a new kind I had never had called Cross Fox. I think it's Cross Fox Espresso. And he made a pot of it for this morning. And it is the smoothest, nuttiest, loveliest coffee I have tasted in forever. Wow. So, so he knocked it out of the park by accident, which is great. <laughs> and that is that is romantic. Sounds like you both have been married for a, a long time and that's 20, exciting. 22 years, I think. <laughs> it's 2024. We got married in 2002. So yeah, 22 years. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. And it's, it's work. It's work every day. Mm-hmm. He, he is, he is, our core values are the same, but he is a very different person than I am. He's very social. He has a titch of ADD, which means that he's indecisive sometimes. And and he's very literal in how he hears things. And I'm not any of those things. I'm very linear. I don't have ADD. Um and I'm I'm terribly focused. When I'm when I'm on stuff, I'm on it. I learn everything I can about it, but it's not like it takes over my life. So so there are very big differences with us and we have to we we definitely hit loggerheads here and there because he doesn't understand what I'm trying to tell him or I don't understand what he's trying to tell me. And I have to, I have to take a step back, take a breath and go, 
okay, I'm confused. Can you answer a couple questions for me? <laughs> and he's like, yes. And I ask my questions because I'm so confused about what he's trying to tell me. Then I get specific answers and I'm like, oh, that's how that all relates to what you said. Okay, now I'm with you. I'm on the same page. <laughs> so, so it's work. It's good work, but it's work. And he's fantastic. I adore him. And, <laughs> and he makes me laugh. The things that he says sometimes because of the way his brain works, I, I'm just giggling. He's like, are you laughing at me? And I'm like, well sort of, but I'm more <laughs> laughing at the delivery and I'm laughing with you. <laughs> so yeah, 22 years is a long time to live in the same place as someone else who lives with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we're on year 17 mm -hmm. and it's been, yeah, it's been a lot of growing together. <laughs> yeah. And, and children and a homestead and, and, and pursuing yeah. your dreams. And it's, it is a lot. I mean, I remember when our kids were young and we had, we had newborn, four and a half, 10 and 12 year olds. And I can remember getting up in the morning and being go, go, go all day long. He would get home. Dinner would be ready. He would help with the dishes. He would help with the kids, whatever was going on. And we wouldn't go to bed till midnight. And, and get up at six, six o'clock in the morning the next day yeah. and just be zombies and still find time to be together and say, I love you and, and love each other, you know, <laughs> and I don't know how we did it. <laughs> I was hoping I could get some good advice from you because I feel like you just described our daily life. <laughs> patience, patience and, and not like going out of your way to not be mean, to not lash out. Mm. You, you treat your partner like they are the best thing that ever happened to you, even on your worst day. Because mm. otherwise, it just becomes this, I'm not going to say it. I was going to say a bad word, but I'm not going to. <laughs> um, it becomes this ugly you pass each other in the hallway and don't even look at each other thing. And you don't want that. That's no fun. Yeah. But you just, it's grace. It's grace and patience. You know, you, you give your partner grace and you have patience. And if something is wrong, you got to address it right there. If, and if not right in that moment, then you, you file it away and you try to find time within a week to sit down with them when you have a minute and say, this thing has been bothering me. Can we talk about it? Yeah. We just, and hopefully you can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's great advice. We just started implementing these um, weekly marriage meetings where we have a, an Asana board now <laughs> assigned to all the things that are going on in our lives with work and school and, um, even marriage is a topic and we have like a little feedback section for things that we need to table for our weekly meeting that, you know, at least now we're, we're talking about it instead of, you know, holding in any resentment or grudges. So working yeah. out so far. Yep. And the other thing I would say is never, ever, ever call your partner a name in anger mm -hmm. because it really hurts and it really hurts your partner. Like when I get called a name, it hurts me, but I'm like, eh, but my husband, 
I said something mean to him back when we were first together. <laughs> and he didn't talk to me for three days. <laughs> and it wasn't even that big a bad name calling. It was just he had done something dumb and I let him know he'd done something dumb. <laughs> and it wasn't the nicest way to say it, but I was angry. And to this day, I do not use bad names for him ever. And I try really hard to never say anything to anyone else that I wouldn't say to him mm -hmm. about him. Yeah. Because God forbid that ever gets back to him. It's really going to hurt him. Yeah. And I don't want to do that. Yeah. So I think it's, I think it's patience. I think it's grace and I think it's respect. And if you can keep those three things at the front of mind, it helps. And I'm not, I am not an expert on relationships. I've just, I know, I know what works for us. I've been married twice before. Those two did not work. This one's working. So that's great. That's really good advice. I didn't realize I was going to be doing this on a podcast. <laughs> it's really funny. Maybe I'll edit all of that out. Um, no, I won't. It's, it's important. And especially with homesteading because either one person is home and the other person is working a job in homesteading or both people are working a job and then trying to do all the homesteading tasks in the evenings and on the weekends. And it really can stress a relationship. So uh, it's yeah. kind of important. Absolutely. It's something that I feel like isn't talked about enough. And we only hear about homestead burnout, right? Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of people are talking about that now, but that's not a good place to be. I mean, I've burnt out working in tech before working 80 hours a week. And I had told my husband, homesteading is our lifestyle. We cannot afford to burn out of this because there's no other alternative. If I burn out at a company, I can find another company or I can find another role. But this is our life now. There is no going back. There is no other alternative. We can make it better, but this is not something I can we can quit and not do anymore. Um, but nobody's really talking about the relationship aspect of it. And I think maybe it's just timing, you know, we're, we're talking at this time during this recording during Valentine's, you know, this, mm -hmm. this time where, you know, we're all talking about relationships, but the reality of being on a farm, most people, ourselves included, we still have to work outside of the farm to make our farm work just for us, <laughs> uh -huh. not, not even talking about, you know, making it a profitable homestead. We're, we're just talking about like what we need to have in place so that we don't have to go to the grocery store. I'd rather spend money on good feed for our animals than, than go to Walmart or go to Whole Foods. Um, and, but with that being said, that's still time away from the home, or even if we're both working from home, it is, we're here, but is it intentional time together? Um, you run into situations where we can, there have been days, you know, you kind of said it and called me out on it. There have been days where we've just been so busy. We've just walked past, right past each other. And it's because of those moments that we've had to implement these marriage meetings. Um, and it's been, uh, we're on week three now because mm -hmm. we've kind of let things go a little bit and things can get rough, but you, you know, these are, these are the conversations that's necessary. And especially when you're trying to ramp up and start a business and homeschool and do all the things together as a family, it is really important to nail down who we are as a couple, um, leading this family together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
when I floated this podcast idea to my husband, he was like, sure, try it. And I was like, okay. And I got my headphones and my computer and went out and found the platform that I would use to record it, blah, 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 all the things that you do. And I thought I'm going to do this and a couple people are going to be, are going to listen. And that's going to be the end of that. It's not going to do anything. And then all of a sudden it started getting a little bit of traction and I was telling him about it and he was being very distant with me about it. Mm. And I could not figure out what was going on. And after a couple months, I said, there's this one podcast episode I really want you to listen to because it's about maple syrup and you're into it and you've talked about tapping trees. It's really good. And he didn't listen to it. <laughs> and I finally said, why haven't you listened to it? I asked you to. And he said, because this is your baby and I don't want to screw it up. Hmm. And I said, how would you screw it up? He said, I'm so afraid I'm not going to like what I hear. I'm going to say something. It's going to crush you and you're not going to keep going. Aww. I was like, number one, I'm, too, I'm in too deep now. I can't <laughs> stop this. I said, this is a train that is going down the tracks and I'm hanging on to the back. Okay. I said, number two, if you don't like it, that's fine. You don't have to like it. You don't ever have to listen to it again. So. He listened to it, and I walked out in the kitchen. He was doing something in the kitchen while I was listening to it. And he was about halfway through, and he was grinning. And I was like, yes, he likes it. <laughs> and so I waited. I walked away. And he came in after he was done listening, and he said, it's really good. He said, I can't believe how good it is. It's really good. And I was like, great. And he, I said, do you have anything bad to say? And he's like, no. <laughs> I said, okay, good. That's great. But he was so afraid that he would burst my bubble that he didn't want to listen to it. Oh. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, clearly you love me because that's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's spousing, partnering, whatever term you want to use is, it's hard. Like it is so <laughs> fulfilling, but yes. it's hard work. Yeah. And I would say even, even without the homesteading aspect to it, you know, we were still going at least 10 years with, before we were homesteading. And now you add in the homesteading element where you physically have to work together. And there's a lot of logistics. There's emotions on the homestead. There's animals, there's different chores. There's chores that we have to do when it's, you know, negative 16 degrees outside or when it's so hot, it's it's humid and you can't breathe out there and you're on a tractor. Mm -hmm. I mean, you add all of that element, all of those elements on top of just being in a relationship together with two different, you know, human beings. And it can it can lead to a lot of challenges. Absolutely. Um, we got a snowblower attachment for our tractor. Um, nice. Uh, two, two years ago, I think. And, um, my husband and my son were getting the attachment on the tractor and my son was in the seat controlling the, the lifting part. And my husband had gotten the snowblower attachment on and my son lifted the, hit the gear to lift the thing. I don't know the right terms here because I don't <laughs> use the tractor and it, the, the blade or the, the snowblower part dropped and nobody got hurt but they both said they heard like a crack and then one side of it dropped oh. and and uh 
my son came in and he was like, Dad's really mad. And I said, oh, oh. And he said, yeah, he said, I'll let him tell you what happened. I'm like, oh, okay. So my husband comes in and he's holding this, this piece of metal. And it was a, it was like a, like a cylinder piece shape. Uh-huh. And it was broken in half. And he said, we're going to have to get hold of the place we bought the tractor from. And I said, okay. He said, this piece broke. And he showed me. And the inside of it looked like um, those chocolate candy bars that are whipped. So it has like little holes in it. Oh. It was all little bubbles inside the piece of metal. It was supposed to be solid. And he said, I don't know what happened when they made this, but this is not correct. And he was trying really hard to not be mad and frustrated and have it come out sideways at me. And I said, is that going to be expensive? And he said, no, it's not because they're going to fix it on their dime. He said, because this is not my fault. And I was like, okay. So the reason I bring this up is the frustrations of the unforeseen things that happen on a homestead will will rip you apart too right. because it is so easy for that frustration to bubble over and get thrown at whoever's around you because the people you love and who love you are your safe place right so he was real good and he was not angry at me but boy he stomped around here for a couple hours being angry about the broken snowblower piece <laughs> i was just like it's all gonna be okay babe breathe it's okay. So yeah, it's it's not easy. And again, being partnered, however that works for you, is amazing. Like I would not have this any other way. But there have been days where I've woken up and been like, why are we married to each other? <laughs> because something's happened and there's been an argument or a disagreement. Right. And I'm still mad about it and that's when I have to remember grace and patience and respect because if I don't have those things it's never going to work right now I wholeheartedly agree with that so yeah and I also try to remember that I would not speak to my friends in a derogatory disrespectful manner so probably shouldn't speak to my husband in that manner either because he is my friend Mm mm-hmm so, yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard and it's good and I should stop before I get myself in a world of hurt. So, anyway, uh we've been talking for almost an hour, Sophia. I'm I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make this go this long. No, this is great. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> okay, good. Um but I should I should wrap it up because uh my my platform only allows me a certain amount of time to record because I am not going to um pay the amount of money that it would cost me to have three hour long podcasts plus nobody's going to want to listen to one episode that's three hours long ever so (laughs) i i really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me this is fun thank you so much mary for having me on your show yeah and good luck with the continued success with your cookbook thank you thank you so much all right have a great day thank you you too bye all right bye-bye